You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. But are you ready for the Word of God this morning? I sure hope so. And I, like I said earlier, we are praying today that Jesus would just encounter, uh, that you would have an encounter with Jesus, that he would intercept your life. And we are tracking through the gospel of John and how many are excited about what God is doing in our series in John. And I want you to know that we are close to the completion of this fine book. By the end of June, Lord willing, we will have made it through the entire book of John. And that is no small feat. And so we're excited to report that. But today, we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, it's interesting. Because from John 18 and 19, it really, uh, we call that section of scripture, the passion of the Christ. It's the time where Jesus is now headed to the cross. Uh, He's going to have several trials that were illegal and at night and just all kinds of things around that. But it's the passion. It's Christ's passion that led him to be nailed to the cross. And and we're going to kind of study that today and next week and look at some of the things around that. But I was as I was studying, I was thinking, how many of you remember back in 2004 when the Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson came out? You guys remember that? Did anybody see that in the theater? Okay, a bunch of you guys did. Well, I was on staff at a church in Dayton, Ohio, and I was thinking back this week about that, and we were uh, we rented out an entire. Uh, Uh, theater for our church and so we could bring guests and it was an outreach event and we were excited about it it was the first rated r movie that i may have seen in the in the theater and i was all kind of geeked about that like hey i finally did it right and um (laughs) no i'm just kidding about that but uh but what's crazy is we walked in and there were some people that had popcorn right ready to watch a movie and, uh, and we had plans for after to go out for ice cream. And we thought, you know, this is going to be a great time, great event. And I don't know about what your experience was like watching The Passion of the Christ. But almost immediately, there was like this reverent hush over the crowd. You remember? And as the movie progressed, our eyes got big and we were, you, it was an experience. It was It was not just like any other movie. And by the end of it, we weren't interested in the popcorn. We weren't interested in even even going out after the case or afterward. There was just this awe of what Christ did for us, for you, for me. Was that your experience? I know it was for us. And uh, and as I was reading John 18, and I read into 19 this week, I was praying, God, Help me as we read, as we pre-read, as we post-read, that we would have a similar experience as we read God's Word. Because God's Word is alive, it's active. And I just want to challenge you as we finish out this series. We've said from the beginning, we want you to pre-read the Scripture. We want you to post-read, read it after the fact, so after you've heard. And we believe that there's a transformation that happens 
from God's Word. And so your assignment for the next week is to read John 18 again after today, and then John 19 before next Sunday as we come and celebrate what God is doing. And let's pray for that kind of intensity, that kind of awe in the story. And so let's just dive in this morning. We're going to kind of tackle quite a bit of scripture here. Uh, John 18, we'll start in verse 1. Let's read there. It says, when he had finished praying, let me pause for a second. What, what was he praying? Uh, in the previous chapter, last week, it's uh, Jesus' prayer. He prays uh, that he would be glorified. Then he prayed for the disciples. Then he prayed for us. And at the end, that's what I think the, the focus was, that there would be unity there. And so when he finished praying, John 18, 1, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. So they went down the mountain, kind of down the valley, and then listen to where they're headed. On the other side, there, uh, there was a garden. We know that that was the Garden of Gethsemane. And he and his disciples went to it. It says, Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place. They had been there before. Jesus, many times in his ministry, uh, in the three years of his uh, ministry, would slip away and spend the evening there. How many remember the verse that says, Jesus had no place to rest his head, right? Well, there are many nights that Jesus spent in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Judas knew where that was. He had been there. He had been there with Jesus because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Verse 3 says, So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. There, they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. And as I studied this, it's interesting. I think, you know, in my mind, you know, there's a small group coming with lanterns and torches, but a small a detachment uh, of soldiers in the original Greek there, there could have been hundreds of people coming for Jesus. Jesus would have seen this uh, from a distance. They would have been coming. He would have heard it. He would have seen it. And Jesus, knowing this, verse 4, knowing what was going to happen, he went out to meet them, and he asked them this, who is it you want? Now, when you read this account in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, we get a little different perspective than we do from the Gospel of John. Let me remind you that the Gospel of John was primarily written so that we would know who the Son of God is. We are, in this chapter, in, these, in this book, we are revealed, where we see Jesus and who He is. He's the Messiah. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And so John captures that even in the Passion. Each writer uh, writes a little diff- bit different, and the theme in John is who is Jesus. So we don't see Judas here initially. We don't uh, see the interaction with the kiss and all that. But in verse 4, it says, Who is it that you want? Verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And you read that and you think, okay, no big deal. But this was derogatory. It would be like Jesus the Nazarene. And it was a big deal. And they, they were very specific who they were after. And at that, and then Jesus says, I am he. Let me pause there. That's an I am statement, straight up. We've studied seven of these in the Gospel of John. I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the way, the truth, the life. I am the bread of life. Um, I'm the, uh, the water, right? All these things. But here, again, Jesus says, I am. He doesn't really say, I am he. He just said, I am. 
I am was the Old Testament reference to God. I am Yahweh. And look what happened. It says that as Judas was, uh, the traitor was standing there with them, and when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and they fell to the ground. There's power in who Jesus is. When he revealed that, at that moment, everybody fell. Can you even imagine what that would have been like? We sang this morning, what a beautiful name. It's with that intensity, with the name of Jesus, I am. And poof, the, the, the crowd is laid out. Again, he asked them, who is it that you want? Verse 7, Jesus, the Nazarene, they said. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those who you gave. And then in verse 10, it transitions and kind of highlights Peter and Peter's story in the Passion. Let's look at it. Verse 10. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, which we don't know why he had a sword, right? He was a fisherman, but he had a sword. And he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, can you imagine this? That a fisherman with a sword pulls it out, and he's going for blood. He was wanting to defend. He, was, he thought that the fight was going to start, and he missed, and he cut his ear, and then Jesus heals it. We know that. But, uh, uh, but can you even imagine just the, the intensity of that moment? And then Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away, fisherman, right? Uh, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And you know, this little scene here with Peter is really, uh, it, it kind of characterizes who Peter is. He's very bold, isn't he? Je- he was with Jesus from the beginning. It was Peter who stepped out of the boat and walked on water, right? It was Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration. It was Peter uh, that was closer to Jesus than perhaps anyone. No one spoke to Jesus more in the Scripture or was spoken to by Jesus than Peter. But let's look at Jesus' response to Peter is in verse 11. It says, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup? And he really rebuked him. Now, Peter was outspoken. He was strong. He's the type of disciple that you would want, right? Someone that was ready to defend. But Jesus says, no, you need to put it away. Put away your sword. And then, after that rebuke, the unthinkable happens. They go to their first trial, and uh, they make their way. But in verse 15, if you look at it with me, then Simon Peter and the other disciple, and that was most likely the the disciple John, we're following Jesus. Let's look at it. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, that's uh, John would have been known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. It says, you aren't, one of the, this, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. The unthinkable. He denies Jesus. It was cold. The servants and the officials stood around the uh, fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. If you skip down to verse 25, meanwhile, so after another trial is going on, Simon Peter was still standing there, warming himself. 
So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. Strike two. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear had been cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And here we go again. Peter denied it a third time. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Now this morning, it goes from Peter being front and center, ready to defend, to this incredible moment that's hard to even understand. And it's crazy that he would deny the person that he loves so much. And what's interesting is when we read that, oftentimes we think, man, Peter, he really blew it. And sometimes it's hard for us to see ourselves in this story. But I want to challenge us this morning to kind of find ourselves in this story. We're going to focus on Peter in, in, uh, in this uh, passion narrative. And I want us to see ourselves. Why did he fail? Why do we fail? And then there's a couple of other truths that I want to kind of highlight. And as, as we do that, there's a backdrop to this whole story that I think is important for us to realize. And we see it here in the story. The, the backdrop is this, that Jesus, he knows everything. He knows, it, he knows it all. We understand that he is God, he's Messiah, right? He is eternal, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, right? And we see that in Peter's story. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, if you, if you would. In Luke chapter 22, it's another account of the passion. And in verse 31, we see Jesus talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon. He uses Peter's old name, which is very significant. He says, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. We see here that Jesus knew Peter's future. He uses his old name, his old self, his old way of thinking. And the point is, is that Jesus knew what was going to happen. There was no surprise here. If you look in verse 33, it continues, but Simon Peter replies, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He stands up and says, I'm going to be there to the very end. And Jesus answered, and look at this. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster, the rooster crows uh, today, you will deny three times that you know me. You know, it's a good reminder, I think, for every single one of us, that Jesus, he knows everything about you. God knows it all. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your giftings. He knows your pitfalls. And he understands you better than anyone. He knows how you were made. He knows every detail about you. Jesus knows. And Jesus knows that no one follows him perfectly. And that's where I want to kind of go to the first nugget of truth here. As this background that Jesus knows everything, I want you to see the first big truth is that even the best among us fail Jesus. Even the best among us will fail Jesus. Now, I don't know what your background was uh, growing up. Uh, for some of you, you may have a, had a similar background uh, to, to me. For, for me growing up, I grew up in the church and uh, really uh, enjoyed church for most of my upbringing. 
Uh, but we were the type of family that we were always in church. We always uh, were active. My parents were always serving. And in fact, so much that after my parents uh, retired, they became missionaries and have been for the last, you know, seven, 15, 16 years, something like that. And, uh, and in fact, they're going to be here second service. And uh, so stick around and you can meet them in between services. That'd be cool if you haven't met my parents. But when I was growing up, we had uh, this term that we would use, and we don't hear it so much anymore. Uh, it's a term that we don't even read in books very much. It's certain, certainly not preached a whole lot. Um, but it's a term that kind of scared me growing up. And the term was backsliding. How many know what I'm talking about? Backsliding. How many have heard that before, right? You're a backslider, right? Or you know, to even to the point uh, in, in our faith, we, we thought that you could turn away from the Lord. And uh, that's a, a big debate we're not going to get into this morning. But, um, but we, don't, we don't see that term used all that much. But for me, and as I was kind of thinking about this, and in thinking about this idea that we all have the potential to fail Jesus at some point, when I think of backsliding, I think of it as a moving away from Jesus, moving away from God, kind of a sliding away or a spiritual apathy. Or if you can kind of get at this picture, a dusty Bible, right? You haven't got out God's word in a while or living a carnal lifestyle or that your worship would be empty. You come in and, and you just kind of maybe mouth the words or maybe you just don't sing. You're not as expressive where there's no heart. These are, this is kind of what I would characterize as being backsliding. And it's subtle, and it's gradual, and you don't even know it's happening. But the reality is that backsliding does happen. Let me just take a quick survey. How many here have experienced this type of reality within your, your Christian walk at some point? All right. I think everybody should have your hand up 100%. Let me ask you one more time, because, Lord, we don't want any lightning strikes this morning, right? How many have you experienced this reality where you kind of slid away or you've had a moving away or maybe a little spiritual apathy, carnal lifestyle, something like that in your life? All right. All right. That was a little bit better. Okay, good. Otherwise, you're just lying, right? And, uh, and watch out. And the reality for Peter is that, and we see it in the Passion story, is that Peter, at this moment, after standing up and defending Jesus, he has, sli has slid away, even in a short amount of time. And Peter, you think about him, he, in my mind, would be the most unlikely person to fall away. Yet it happened. You say, well, how did Peter slide? How did he backslide? How did he move away so quickly? Well, there's four things as I was studying that are true in Peter's story. And the first thing that's true is that Peter, he was attacked by Satan. It's true. Look with me in Luke's account, Luke chapter 22. We read it already. Simon Cider, Simon, Simon Cider, that's not what I was meant to say. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. There was a spiritual battle going on in Peter's life. How many know the verse in Ephesians? Our battle is not flesh and blood, but it's against powers and principalities, rulers of the dark age, right? And for Satan, what he does, and he, he came to Peter this way, and he comes to us in this way, and he puts doubt in our mind. 
doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. He makes us doubt the word of God. He will bring temptation into our lives. Satan will lead us into sinful behavior. He will condemn us. He will say, man, you're never good enough. You've messed up so many times. How could you ever turn back? Don't turn back. He will try to discourage us. He will take your joy. Satan does these things. Am I right? And that was exactly what was happening for Peter. Satan was attacking Peter in this instance. But there was something else happening. Peter also was overconfident. Kind of this smug certainty. Oh, it would never happen to me. It's kind of like the type of person who says, you know, can you believe that that person got caught up in that sin? Or can you believe that that family, that there was a divorce? Or can you believe that that person had an abortion? And we think about it. That's kind of like Peter. Let's look at Luke 22, verse 33. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He was overconfident. You obviously don't know me, Jesus. I'm here with you to the end. There's no way I'm turning back. And what we realize is that Peter, his greatest weakness was his perceived strength. And it's interesting that as we are go along this Christian journey, when we become overconfident, it's the enemy's chance to really bring us down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 12, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes a little bit about this. He says this, and I think it's important for us to know. says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Paul warned that. Peter experienced that. And you know what's great? The truth is, is we can't stand on our own. We are not strong enough to do that. Uh, people of recovery, and I know we have lots of people that would consider themselves as recovering from different things. It's when we think we're weak and we put our strength in God that we make, the, the, where we see significant change. And Lord, help us to never be overconfident. Peter was. He was attacked by Satan. He was overconfident. A third thing, Peter was also prayerless. If you stay in Luke chapter 22 there, in verse 40, uh, or we'll start with verse 39, Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. Verse 40 says, On reaching that place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. In Matthew's account, in fact, I want you to turn with me there, Matthew chapter 26 We see that the disciples, after they were encouraged to pray, they were snoozing over and over. And Jesus uh, said this in verse 40, then returning to his disciples, he found them sleeping. He says, could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked that directly to Peter. And then he says again, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is is weak. My question to us is how much prayer time do we spend with Jesus? You know, sometimes we spend time with pr- in, in prayer, maybe 15, 20 minutes or half an hour. Maybe we put in an hour of prayer and we walk away. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I know I have. And you think, huh, did I just waste an hour? 
Or did I just waste 15 minutes? You don't feel any different. How many are with me? Sometimes that's the case. If there's no groundbreaking, kind of earth-shaking, the wind you know, doesn't start blowing, you don't see you know, gold, pixie dust, or anything like that in your prayer times, right? Sometimes it's just kind of dry. Sometimes prayer is just putting in the time, right? But I'll tell you, it makes a difference. The residual effect, I'm actually uh, studying in my personal devotions about the secret place, and uh, man, I'm enjoying that, digging in. One of the chapters talked exactly about this. Won't take time to to dive into it, but the the point is, is you've got to put in the time. And it's like building a little upon little, and it makes the difference in our lives when we're full of prayer. And, you know, have you ever been there where you say, well, I want to stand, and you think you're going to stand, but then you don't? Well, we need to pray more. Because prayerlessness leads to powerlessness. And again, in Matthew 26 there, be careful. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the enemy, he would love to get you not to pray. Well, there's a fourth thing. Not only was uh, Peter attacked by Satan, and we get attacked by Satan as well. Not only was he overconfident and prayerless, but Peter was with the wrong crowd at this moment. How many have heard the, the statement, if, you're, if you walk with the wise, you will be wise? I love that. If you walk with fools, you will fall, certainly. You will head into ruin. The idea is, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And we, te- we teach that to our kids. We say that all the time in youth ministry. Uh, Pastor Pete's in the back with the kids, but Rachel, we talk about that with our kids. And by the way, welcome back. She just got back from Oman last night at like 11 o'clock. And uh, we weren't sure if you were going to make it back, so Pete's covering for you. And, um, and if you fall asleep here, uh, Reagan just uh, nudge her and make sure she stays awake. Um, but anyway, but we, t- we teach our kids that, right? I remember being a kid's pastor, standing up on a chair and saying, look, if you're up here and you're a believer and you're hanging around people that aren't believers, who can pull? I put a little girl up on a chair, right? And, um, and, uh, and uh, or no, I put a big guy on, on a chair and then a little girl comes up and, and they have a little tugging war, right? What happens? That little girl pulls that big kid right off of that chair. And that's the case. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. We see this in, uh, in Peter's account. Stay with me in Luke. I really like uh, the combination of looking at different uh, stories here, uh, different renditions. Luke 22, verse 54 says, Then seizing him, that's Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. And then look what it says in verse 54. It says, Peter followed at a distance. At this point, he has been isolated. He's at a distance. Verse 55, And when some that were there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. Now, were these Christ followers? Were these good influences on Peter? What I want you to see is that these were people that were accusing Jesus, that wanted Jesus dead, and Peter, instead of, kind of separating them from the crowd. He, he's hanging out with the wrong people. He's hanging out with the wrong crowd. 
Now, when I say show me your friends, I'll show you your future, um, you know, I'm not saying that you should never hang around unbelievers. I'm not saying at your workplace that that's not possible or at your school, right, or that you're going and you're witnessing intentionally. What I'm talking about is spending too much time with unbelievers where they are your closest friends. They will bring you down. And we see that in this account with Peter. Go back to John chapter 18. You want to keep your finger there. We kind of see the same thing happen. Simon Peter and another disciple, that was John, were following Jesus. John gets to go into the courtyard, but Peter, verse 16, had to wait outside the door. So again, he's isolated. He's by himself. The other disciple was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in, and kind of brought him in, and that's where he finds himself by the fire. He was with the crowd who did not acknowledge Jesus. Now, I was thinking about that. How many of us, in different situations, at some time or another, kind of are in Peter's shoes? Someone is talking about Jesus, Maybe they're, they're telling you about what's happening at their church or what's going on. And you just kind of shrink back and you're like, oh, don't acknowledge. I, I don't want to be known as a believer in this circumstance. In those circumstances, you're just like Peter. In those moments, I would say you're failing Jesus. And I've been there. I know you've been there as well. And then, of course, we see the unthinkable happen. Peter denies Jesus the first time in verses 15 through 17. Uh, John is a disciple. So are you. And, and Peter says, I am not a disciple of Jesus. In verse 25, we see the second denial. If you, if you look at that, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there, still with the wrong crowd. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied a second time, and he said, I am not, right? In Mark chapter 14, verse 68, you don't have to turn there, uh, same story, but he denied it, and he says this, I don't know or understand what you are talking about. So now, not only is he denying, he's lying, right? Back to John 18, the third denial comes in verse, uh, verse 26 and 27. We see Jesus. He's right there. It says one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear was cut off, challenged, didn't I see you with him? And again, Peter denies it. What a, what a tragic story. In Luke Luke's account, verse 60, Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. You see this picture unfolding here? In Matthew's account, verse, in Matthew chapter 26, he yells out, he begins to call down curses, and he swore to them. He says, I don't know the man. Can you feel this? Can you feel the weight of what's happening here? Peter is walking away. He's denying Jesus. And uh, he, he's got to feel miserable because he loves Jesus. But in that moment, how many have been there where you love the Lord and then there's an opportunity for you to stand up or you, for you to identify with Christ and you shrink back? We've probably all been there. 
In Luke's account, verse, uh, verse 60, uh, if you're back there, he replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, then look what it says. The Lord uh, turned and looked straight at Peter. He was in the vicinity. So if you can just imagine Jesus being beat, uh, being under this trial, Peter slips in. He's in eyesight. Peter denies, and then he catches eyes with Jesus. His heart just sank. Jesus' heart would have sunk. And, you know, as Jesus looked, it wasn't like, man, Peter, I can't believe. It would have been, his eyes would have been full of love. So important. But look what happens. Luke 22, verse 61 and 62. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words that had been spoken. Before the roaster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And then what happened? Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. I want to just come, just stay on this, mo- this point for just one second. The people you hang around, and you need to listen to this, the friends that you're closest with, are they people of faith? And I'm not just talking even just churchgoers. I'm talking, are they the type of person that says, hey, we're going to get through this with Jesus. They're going to pray with you. They're going to walk with you. People who trust Jesus. Is that who you're closest? Because even the best among us will fail. It's the human condition. And let me just throw out a few things. The failure to stand for Christ, and we can probably all admit to at some point feeling squeamish, kind of backing away and not standing up for Jesus. It could be a failure to love your mate and you're, you're failing your duties as a Christ follower. It could be your failure to be kind or to be compassionate. It could be your failure in, a, in your thought life. It could be a th- failure in the words that you have said. Failure that you gossiped or the fact that you shaded the facts around your taxes, around some other business endeavor. It could be the failure that you lied or that you lost your cool or the failure that when you didn't trust Jesus like you should have. Listen, we all fail. We all fall down. Now that's not an excuse that, oh, we can just go and live however we want. We should be pursuing righteousness and holiness. But I want you to know that Jesus, he knows that you are not perfect. And the question is, what do you do when you fail? What do you do in that moment? Because even the best fail. And we're going to talk about what to do about that here in a moment. But there's another big truth that I want you to see just momentarily, is that Jesus, on the flip side, he never fails. Turn to your neighbor and say, he never fails. Jesus never fails. He never fails anyone. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, as I was studying this, Pastor Bobby kind of brought me to this, to this text. It says, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. That means if we turn away, if we just completely walk away from Christ, you know, he, he won't 
we can, I believe we can lose our salvation. Again, that's a big conversation. But then look at verse 13. If we are faithless, if we don't stand in the moment, or if we mess up, if we fail at some point, it says he cannot disown himself. He will never give up on you. Jesus will always be pursuing you. And Jesus, he did not write off Peter. In John chapter 1, we're going to study that in a couple weeks, Jesus makes breakfast for Peter, and he gets to Peter, and he shows him his love. He says, I am not done with you. I am the God of second chances, or third, or fourth, or fifth chances. Amen? And the key in John chapter 21 is the love that Jesus has for Peter and the love that Peter had for Jesus. It kind of goes both ways. And the point is, God never gives up on you. He loves you more than you could imagine. And so what should our response be? What should our response be when we fail, when we slip, when we backslide? Well, within this passion narrative, we see two disciples that seriously miss the mark. They backslide, if we want to use that terminology. Peter and Judas. And their response, when they failed, was totally different. Let's look at Judas for a second. What happened to Judas? He betrays Jesus, right? And then he continues to move away from Jesus. I think that's an important piece. He had remorse, I am sure of it, but he never turned back to Jesus. And we read in the Gospel accounts, he went out and he hung himself. He committed suicide. He took his life. Sad story. On the flip side, Peter, when he failed, it says that he wept, wept bitterly. He repented. And instead of moving away from Jesus, he instead he had been moving away. He moved back towards Jesus and he was restored. He was reinstated as a believer. And what's great about it is you read in, in uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Peter stands and gives leadership to replace Judas. In Acts 2, he stands up and preaches and thousands of people give their heart to the Lord. In Acts 3, he's a part of a, a healing. God uses him to heal many people. In Acts 5, he's part of that story with Ananias and Sapphira. Peter is hitting it out of the park. In Acts chapter 12, he, he's in prison, but he escapes from, from prison. Angels are attending to him. And what's great is what I want you to see. It's all because Peter came again towards Jesus. He had a choice, just like Judas. And Judas walked away, continued to do so. Peter turned back towards the Lord. Now, as we close this morning, and Bobby, you can come and kind of prepare I want you to think about your best days with Jesus. Think about it. It could be at a camp service. It could be the day you got saved. You know, I want you to just imagine the time in your life where you were, you were hitting it on all cylinders and uh, things were you know, rocking and rolling as and, and far as your relationship with Jesus. And, and I want you to get that picture. I, and I don't know if you could ever hit a 10, but just for, the, for our illustration, I want you to think of the moment in your life when you, when you would say, man, 
I'm doing awesome for Jesus. And some of you might rate yourself at a 10 out of 10. Uh, maybe you're saying, man, if I'm at a 9, that's about as good as I'll ever get. I mean, however you do that. But think about that moment when you were doing great with the Lord. Can you all get a picture of that? When you felt close to Jesus. Maybe in a worship setting or maybe in a, in a season where you're really in the Word of God. Or you're connecting with other people and you're in a Bible study saying, man, I never felt closer to God, all right? That's the picture. I want you to get that picture. And then I want you to rate yourself from that moment. It's going to be a high moment, an 8 or a 9 or maybe even a 10, depending on how you rate yourself. And I want you to rate yourself today. Where are you today in regards to that? Are you a seven where you once were a nine? Are you a six where you once were an eight? Are you a five where you once were a ten? And I want you to know that it's not as important what number you'd give yourself today. What is more important than that is what direction are you moving? Are you moving away from Jesus like Judas continued to do? Or in a moment like this, do you realize, say, man, if I'm a five and I used to be a seven, or if I'm a seven and I used to be a nine, could it be that the Lord is drawing you? It's your choice. Which way are you moving? There's two takeaways that I want to make sure that you understand. The first is this. I believe in our walk with Christ at many, many times, we need to stop and recognize where we are. And this is one of those moments. Whether you wanted it or you saw it coming, I want to challenge every single one of us here to say, all right, where am I today in regards to my relationship with the Lord? Take a real look. Be honest. Rate yourself. Don't be overconfident. But don't be too hard on yourself either, okay? Because everyone fails. In Jesus, he understands that. So we need to recognize where we are. That's the first takeaway. But then the second, right behind it, I believe, is a call to repentance. We're calling you to repentance. And for those of you that don't know the Lord, the repentance is where you start. That's a salvation experience where your sin is counted against you, but then Jesus steps in and he takes away your sin. And you know what? That repentance, it continues until we are perfected in heaven. It never stops. And this morning, I want to call us I want to lead us to a place of repentance. And you may have come this morning not feeling like you needed to repent, but as we've been sharing, as we kind of talk about where you are today, where you could be with the Lord, I believe that the Holy Spirit, in His kind, loving way, is revealing impurity, distractions, He's revealing your friends. He's revealing an overconfidence. He may be revealing a prayerlessness. And in all these cases, my, my challenge is, could we move towards 
the Lord till we move towards him. My prayer is that in every single case here this morning, that there would be a soft heart, soft heart towards the Lord. And what we've done is we've kind of planned communion this morning, which is just one of those moments in the life of a believer where we should pause, where we should reflect. This is not in the notes, but uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks about what we should do. It says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner, that means you're not following the Lord. That means you're not moving in the right direction. You're away from God or, or you, you've you kind of lost your passion. If you do that in an unworthy manner, you'll be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. Everyone ought to examine themselves. That's the first point, to recognize where you are before eating and drinking the cup. Whoever eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on themselves. And so what we want to do this morning is create an atmosphere for you just to understand where you are and then our call is to be moving towards Jesus and that's a call to repentance. But before we partake, I just want to kind of pause here this morning and I'm wondering if there's anyone right at the get-go here that's saying, you know, I do not have a relationship with Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and I'm ready to make that commitment, and I would like to be saved. I'd like for Jesus to take away my sin. Is there anyone here, first service, that says that's where I am? Say, man, I've never given my heart to Jesus. Anyone at all? that's ready to receive Christ this morning. I just want to give you a second. Because if you don't want to miss this opportunity, anyone at all. All right. Now I'm going to ask you that you close your eyes for this next part because this is between you and the Lord. It really doesn't matter what I think or what anyone that's sitting next to you thinks. Uh, if you're here this morning and you are not in a place where you're comfortable with your walk with the Lord, where you feel like you've been stronger at some other point, if you rated yourself as a 5 today and you used to be a 7, or you rate yourself at a 7 you used to be a 10, would you just acknowledge that just before the Lord? Just, uh, just raise your hand right where you are. Just to, to, before you and the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no shame in that, raising your hand. Now I want to just acknowledge that if that's the case, and there were dozens of hands, we probably all, it's, in some regard, could probably all raise our hands to that. I'm wondering, it's not so much the number you give yourself, it's the direction you're moving. How many here this morning, again, by a show of hands, would say, you know what? I want to move towards Jesus this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You want to move towards Jesus. Hallelujah. And now, God, I pray, as we go from here, that you would cause us to be bold for you, that we would take a stand, and we pray it in Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, amen and amen. Before you move and before we greet each other, I just want to capture your heart with one more thought. Next Sunday is going to be an incredible Sunday. Next Sunday, we are doing water baptisms. And I just want to encourage you that if you were saying, boy, I am, want to move towards God and you want to be baptized, if you've never been baptized, this is your chance. To, it's a public confession of your faith. But even we've got some people lined up that are going to be rebaptized. that God is doing some neat things in their lives, wanting to be rebaptized. If you are interested in being rebaptized next Sunday as part of our celebration, there's a sign up in the lobby. It had a spill on it, and so it's kind of a new list. But go ahead and let's fill those out. And uh, uh, we want to know who's going to be a part of that. And even if you just come next week, we're going to have... Uh, We'll be ready that even on the spot, you're saying, man, I want to be baptized, I want to be rebaptized. We're going to give you opportunity next week to do that. So I wanted to make sure that you're aware of that. Amen? All right. Well, turn, let's greet one another, and God bless you. Go in the grace of God. We love you very much. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.